got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And thinking about the theme of God and His faithfulness and how great it is, we're going to continue this morning our series on fireproofing your marriage. And the idea is that we're going to fireproof our relationships, our marriages, by making sure that we do those things necessary to make them strong and stable and sturdy. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of those issues that's touchy in marriage, one of those issues that's touchy in church, one of those issues that's touchy in life in general, but that is vital if we're going to fireproof our marriage. And that issue is money. You know, a a study was done recently, and they asked people that had gotten a divorce the causes of the divorce. And as they went down, they had to rank uh, causes of the divorce. And in well over 50% of all divorces that took place, one of the main reasons that people gave was money. Finances were a major issue with people. And you know, money and finances are important in any day, but perhaps even today in this time in our lives and in our culture and in our country, finances are even more important. It seems like you turn on the TV, you read the newspaper, you get online, and there are all these stories about how bad the economy is, will be, and when it might recover. I uh, have stopped even checking the stock market anymore. It's just depressing, right? Some of you have retirements that are tied up in that, and that's just a depressing thought. I mean, money is becoming more important today than it has been recently. I I was reminded of this yesterday. We were just on a normal Saturday afternoon excursion. We had been to a couple of places looking around shopping and decided we were done and we wanted to grab some lunch before we headed home. So we stopped at Chick-fil-A, okay? Any Chick-fil-A fans here? All right. And so we stop and we order what I normally order and get to the front. And Eli had one special request at Chick-fil-A. And that was that he wanted a milkshake. Every time we go to Chick-fil-A, he wants a milkshake. And I just completely forgot. Now, I know most of you out there never do things like that, but I forgot. And so we got up to the front. I had paid for our meal. The guy was getting ready to hand us the meal. And I said, can I do one thing, sir? Can I add a milkshake to our order? Sure. And so he goes back and he says, that'll be however much money it is. And I pull out some cash and I give it to him. And he's giving me the change which consists of about three bills. And he hands me the change, and on top of the change he hands me is a dollar bill that slips out of my hand and out of his. Now, this was about 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and it had not gotten cold yet, but the wind was shifting and blowing pretty hard. And so as it escaped my hand and his, it blew backwards past my car. Now, my first thought was, well, there's a dollar gone. You know, it's just gone. As I'm thinking that, I look to the left, and the Chick-fil-A guy hurdles out of the window. (laughs) Runs down the cars, gets the dollar bill, brings it back to me, and when he gets back to me, he looks at me with a look of, I cannot believe I just did that. I just want to tell you, I saw some athletic moves on the basketball court on TV yesterday. There was no more athletic move that I saw than that guy hurtling out of the Chick-fil-A window. 
So he goes back around to get out. The funniest thing to me was, just a moment later, one of his coworkers stuck their head out the window and said, where did he go? I guess I thought maybe they thought, well, he's had enough. He's gone. It's over. That extra milkshake pushed him right over the edge. But it reminded me that money is an important subject. He chased down my dollar bill, right? And when it comes to fireproofing relationships, fireproofing marriages, money is a critical area. You know, in Scripture it tells us that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth. That we are to give Him priority in all that we do. That we are to honor Him with what He's given us. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know what's interesting about verse 7 to me? is That's one of those that's rarely credited to the Bible. There are lots of things out there that aren't in the Bible. You know that? That people claim are in the Bible, like God helps those that help themselves. Not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Not in the Bible. All right? So some of you parents, stop using that, okay? But this is one that's in here. We came in with nothing, we leave with nothing. But if we had food and clothing, we'd be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Four things I want us to understand today about money and fireproofing your marriage. And first of all, it comes in that first part where it says that godliness with contentment is for great gain. You see, in order for us to fireproof our marriage, in order for us to fireproof our relationships, in fact, for any of us to fireproof our life, we first must understand the management principle. The management principle. Every time I preach a sermon on money, I tell you this, every time you hear it, you nod, you write it down, you agree with me, and you walk out that door, most of you forget it before you get to lunch. The management principle simply is this. Your money is not your money. I don't get many amens on that usually. Right? Your money is not your money. In fact, if you want to know the reality of it, you are flat broke. I don't know the difference between broke and flat broke, but whatever it is, you are flat broke. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are flat broke. Now, some of you say that's more true than I want it to be. But here's the truth. Some of your husbands really appreciate telling your wives that. That means you can't go shopping, you can't go tomorrow. Here's the idea. Everything we have is God's, right? Everything we have is God's. Scripture makes that very clear. It says in Scripture, in Psalm 24.1, write that out somewhere, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, unless you have something that is not on the earth right now, it belongs to God. Let me just give you a little clue here. Not only did God create the earth and everything it contains, He created everything. Right? So everything is His. Now, here's the amazing thing. 
he gives us just a little bit of his funding to take care of us while we're here. But it's all his. And so all you are called to do is to take care of what he's given you. Now, he's given some of you more. He's given some of you less. But the point is, whatever he's given you, it's your job to take care of that. A few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of talents. That was the kind of the point. It's your job to be a steward there. But what we didn't talk about a little bit in there is that the good thing about all this is that God is a God who gives freely. We serve a God who is a giving God. You've heard it said before, you can't out-give God, right? I mean, think about it in the Bible. God gave Adam and Eve a garden. He gave Israel a protection and guidance. He gave Israel the promised land. He gave David, the shepherd boy, the kingship. And if you want to move it to the New Testament, you can look and John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave to us His one and only Son. And when Jesus gets ready to leave the earth, He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to give to you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. So our God is a giving God. When we hear the, the thought that, you know, well, everything is God's, that's good, but, you know... It, I just feel like God's being stingy. The the truth is, God gives more freely than we deserve. And all He asks of you is to manage what He gives you. Is to manage it. I read this week a way to ask yourself whether or not you believe that God owns everything. It was simply this. To evaluate your prayer life and ask, when was the last time you asked God how... He wanted you to spend his money. You see, a lot of times we use God kind of as our personal wish list. God, this is what I need. This is what I want. So-and-so needs this. So-and-so needs that. But when was the last time you asked him how he wants you to spend his money? It's almost like we are God's investment coordinators here on earth. You know, in this day and time, I guess stockbrokers, personal investment guys are kind of getting a bad name. It's kind of hard to make money today in that kind of market. But the idea behind that is you say to somebody, listen, I'm going to give you some of my stuff, and I want you to manage some of my stuff so that when I get through and you've done what you've done, I've got more stuff than I had before. Right? You with me? Okay. And what God is saying to us is here's some stuff. Take care of it. Invest it. And when we realize that it's all God's anyways, the real, con- the real key to everything around is that contentment is what is important. Look what it says in verse 6. For godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, it's talking specifically here about some people that are going to come and try to make money off of being godly, that are going to try to swindle you out. It's talking here about preachers and teachers that would tell you that they're there for the love of God when they're really there for the love of money. Isn't it comforting to know that that's not a new phenomenon? There have been those kind of people around, but he says, listen, godliness with a contentment with what you have is of great gain. 
You know, the truth is that one of the tools that Satan tries in your life and in mine all the time is to get us discontent with what we have. And so we desire more and we do things outside of the realm of God's plan to get more. Now, next week we're going to talk about avoiding temptation and we're going to talk about uh, Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness as a model for us to avoid temptation in our relationships or life in general. But I want you to think for just a minute about those temptations in the wilderness. Satan comes to Jesus and he's there and he says, Jesus, listen, you've been fasting for a long time. I know you're hungry. If you would just turn these rocks into bread, it'd be great. You could eat, it'd be good. Well, Jesus passes that test and he says, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to give you, here, here, let's go up to the, the top. And if you just jump down right now, all the angels would come and take care of you. They, they wouldn't let you fall. They're, they're going to stop you from that and you'll show them that you're more than just being a normal human. Well, Jesus passes. Okay, well, here's what I want. I want you to see all the kingdoms of the world. When you see all the kingdoms of the world, Know that if you'll bow down to me, you can have it all. I want you to think for just a minute. Like I said, we'll get into the details next week. Each one of those temptations was really a test of Jesus' contentment. Are you okay with what you have? Because if not, you can get some bread. Are you okay being human? Because if not, we can circumvent that. Are you okay with what God has given you rule over? Because I can give you more. Now, whether they were true or not, is not the issue. It's whether or not Jesus was content. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that phrase that we use all the time, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read that passage, it's all about contentment. Whether I have plenty or whether I have none, whether I've been beaten or whether I'm in good health, whatever life has given me, I can do all things through Christ. So the real issue in the management principle is contentment. You see, the reality is, if I were to stop you and say to you, do you realize that God owns everything? Most everybody in this room would say, absolutely, Pastor, I believe that. Then why are you having problems with your finances? And if we get down to the core of it, when you have problems with your finances, when you have problems in your life in general, when you give in to the temptation that Satan brings, the real problem often falls on that you are not content with what God has given you. I'm going to go into next week's sermon if I don't watch it, so we'll just stop there. You've got to be content. Now, some of you say, Pastor, but this is an especially bad time to talk about contentment. You know, I realize that there are some of you in this room today that have recently lost jobs. There's some of you in this room today that are on the verge of losing jobs. There's some of you that don't know if you walk in tomorrow that they may not say to you, your job's gone. And in an especially difficult economy, how in the world can we be content? And I was thinking about that this week and asking the question, all right, Pastor, I'm thinking, God, you know, I'm going to pastor these people, and you've given me these people to pastor. It's an especially difficult economic time, and I'm going to go in there and talk about money. What word do you have for them about this time? And as I was looking around and studying and looking, I found a couple of principles that I think God wants us to remember in this especially difficult time. Now, this isn't anywhere on your handout, on the back of the, not the handout, but on the back of your bulletin. You can write it down somewhere, though. First of all, when you're in a bad economic time, remember, this is not our home. Amen? This is not where we end up. 
on Sunday nights, we're teaching a series of lessons on heaven. And I would encourage you to join us tonight. If you haven't already been a part of a Bible study here on Sunday nights, join us tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to talk tonight about where heaven is now and what it's like now. Okay? But we are to be reminded constantly that this is not our home. This is not what God intends for us to live. And because of that, we need to live our lives with a new perspective. We need to realize that we were made for eternity. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you here are going to live forever? Let me see your hands. All right? Everybody's hand needs to go up, okay? I'm going to help you. Everybody raise your hand, all right? Now, here's the thing. We're going to live in one of two places, right? For eternity. Now, as best I can tell, if I live really healthy, I might get to be 100 years old here. Small, small chance. But there's a chance. In fact, even in the places in the world where people live the longest, I saw uh, a report yesterday on the news about, I think they're called blue zones, where people live longer than anywhere else. One was in Costa Rica, and they averaged living till about 85 to 90. Even if you live to 85 or 90 years old, compared to eternity, that's not a long time. And so even when the market crashes, and it's going to be crashed for a year of your life, that's not a significant amount of time in the eternal history of your soul. Okay? And the second thing that comes out of that on a new perspective is material things are bad investments. Because you came into this world with nothing. And you're going to leave this world with nothing. They're bad investments. And so as you think about your life, and that doesn't mean that they're not real, and that doesn't mean there aren't real concerns, and that doesn't mean that it's really especially difficult, but what we need to understand is even in the midst of this, we must, and this is the whole point, trust God completely. Completely trust God. You know, one of the things I've found in my own life is it is really easy to trust God when things are going good. Anybody else discover that? 